millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The Taoiseach condemns the vicious attack on two Garthi and Ballyfermot last night as Garthi unions urge politicians to get tough on crime. There could be no toleration for those kind of assaults on the Garthi um, who are out there uh, putting uh, their lives and, and, and limb on the line uh, to protect us all in society. Uh, and it's utterly reprehensible. Teams abandoned their One Love armband protest at the World Cup in Qatar while the Iranian football team takes a defiant political stance. And later with Irish consumers set to spend in the region of 26 million euro online this Black Friday. Shoppers are warned of the danger of scams and fraud. You can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. First tonight, shocking footage is circulating of the vicious attack on two Garthi by a group of men outside a pub in Ballyfermot in Dublin in the early hours of Sunday morning. The Garthi, one male and one female, were called to the scene in response to a public order incident and were able to call for backup, but not before being kicked and beaten to the ground, with both later requiring hospital treatment. Four people have been arrested in connection to the attack with one woman being charged and released from custody, scheduled to appear before the courts at a later date. The attack was recorded and shared widely on social media. We'll have a look at that footage now and a warning that viewers may find this distressing. Um, and we've blocked out some of the commentary as well around that footage um, that, that was posted with that. Um, but here with me to discuss this is senior news journalist with the Sunday Independent, Mark Tai, Minister of State for Law Reform in the Department of Justice, James Brown, Sinn Féin TD, Louise O'Reilly, and People Before Profit Councillor for Ballyfermot, Drimna, Hazel de Nortoon. And you're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. To come to you first, Hazel, on this, and we didn't show that the full video, we just showed an element of it. Mm. Um, and people who have access, who have seen it, will say that is, it, it, is, it is really shocking to see Garthi being treated in this way, requiring hospital treatment um, after such an attack. It is the second attack in recent times in the Ballyferma Cherry Orchard area. And as a representative there, I suppose, what's been the community reaction to this? 
I, um, I think it's important to say that there's been condemnation of this level of violence within the community. Everybody has the right to go about their work in a safe manner. And um, from all the texts and calls that I've been getting today, they've been really disgusted about what they've seen. I suppose it's important as well to say that those particular instances that you're referring to were caught on camera, but there is a particular level of violence within the community that isn't unseen. And I think it's the detrimental effect that that's having on residents. Um, and it does have a huge effect on it. And we would always be calling for more discussions around multi-agencies to see how we could best support people within mm. the community. Because there was a lot of talk, of course, in the wake of, of the, mm. the incident in Cherry Orchard just in the past two months um, about resources in the area, about helping the community there, um, about people not having to live in fear mm -hmm. and incidents not happening the force um, in this area when they are patrolling the streets. Do you sense that anything changed in the wake of what happened in, in Cherry Orchard, um, as I say, back in October? Uh, to, because judging what we've seen in this video there, that is, that's really frightening to see that mm -hmm. just such a short time mm -hmm. um, after, after the incident involving the ramming of a guard the car in Cherry Orchard. I think on a fundamental level, nothing has changed for those people who are being affected on a one-to-one -one level, whether it be from right next door or to violence um, at night on the road or instances like that. I think the services have come out and um, the, the local reps have, the guards have, and, and um, the community have come together and they've put a plans together to see how best it could be supported. Mm. I think it's also important to identify that this is a decades-long issue that we would have had. We would have been saying that there would have been levels of antisocial that may rise and peak within communities and um, the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee is coming out to us on Thursday again following on from that incident that you said um, to look at maybe some of the services and supports that we put together in a social mm -hmm. plan to see how we can be best supported um, but I, I do think if we're not tackling it on a fundamental level and, and really getting into the nitty gritty of it we're not going to see any change on this. Uh, James, your reaction to what's happened? Because we have heard condemnation yet again from, you know, the Taoiseach today, from Helen McEntee as well. But many people watching will say, you know, words are all very well, but where's the action around this? Where's this sense um, that people who have, it would appear, absolutely no fear of the law are able to carry out attacks such as this on members of the force? Well, I think what we've seen was totally unacceptable and there needs to be a zero tolerance approach to attacks on Angarda Shia Khan. And my thoughts are certainly with both members of Angarda Shia Khan or their colleagues and their families. And I understand both have left hospital now, but must be seriously traumatised as a result of those events. And I wish both of them a speedy recovery and a full recovery. Myself and Minister McIntyre have been out to Cherry Orchard at Ballyfermot on a number of occasions. And myself and Minister McIntyre will be back out on Thursday morning as well to meet with the community groups as we have done already. There has been an increased guard of presence there, but I do agree with Hazel. I mean, what we need to do on a fundamental level with younger people who are getting involved in antisocial behaviour and crime mm. is to put those resources in place to tackle you're, the poverty. You're saying, sorry, you are saying an increase of Gardaí on mm. the ground, but look what's happening. Look mm. what's happening those Gardaí on the ground. How they were hospitalised after an attack when they were, mm. when they were at work. And they obviously no, felt very vulnerable. And even though there was a backup call, it didn't prevent what happened. No, absolutely. And, and their work is protecting the community and keeping the community safe. To see an attack on a frontline workers like that is absolutely horrific. So it is. And so what we, and I know there was a quite a rapid response from the armed support unit and other guarded units, but what we've seen there is totally 
uh, unacceptable. Attacks on, on, on members of okay. Garda Sheikh Khan carry up to seven years simply for an attack, but where it's a, a serious assault can carry up to life imprisonment. Okay, and we will talk about that legislation and the, those laws around uh, attacks on, on the force and on frontline workers. Um, a little earlier, I spoke to President of the Garda Representative Association, Brendan O'Connor, and I asked him if Garthi on the beat would say that what we saw in Ballyfermot it reflects a wider trend of increased attacks on Garthi nationally. Absolutely, clear. What we saw today was very shocking, even for experienced Garthi who are aware of the phenomenon, just to see it laid bare. What actually can happen going to a routine incident to Garthi respond to something which is probably fairly run in the middle, a report of a disturbance, and to see such relentless violence visited upon a member that repeated attack, punched, kicked uh, repeatedly, and the vulnerability of our officers there on the scene, on the front line, is very, very disturbing for all our members. It doesn't probably come as a shock because we know that this level of violence exists and we know that it's, it's, in an, it's on an increasing trajectory. But certainly to just, as for members of the public to see it, I suppose, is very um, enlightening for them because this is what we've tried to articulate on behalf of members. But of course, this is only the second. There's at least another piece of footage of the circulation in recent times from the city centre, two members of Operation Citizen, who came under a similar sort of sustained attack. So certainly the phenomenon is most concerning and needs to be addressed. So, Brendan, in terms of safeguarding the guards and keeping the Gardaí safe on our streets while they carry out their duties, there's much talk around body cams and, and their use. Would your members say that this would dissuade people from assaulting Gardaí? Well, we would, and we would say that the level of equipment that's available to our members is perhaps three decades behind what it should be. That's in relation to IT systems and so body cameras have come in in recent decades. But I think really what our members, speaking to members today and taking messages and phone calls, are saying, what is the plan? What's like? It's well established that the streets are becoming more violent. It's well established that guards feel probably um, disempowered when they go out there because uh, they just feel that they don't have that respect of that authority. So, you know, we've had, we're a long way into a, a modernization program. We're a long way on from what the Commission of the Future Policing. We've had management initiatives, we've oversight, we've had an inspectorate, we've a police authority. So let's empower, like the guards that went out that paraded for duty tonight on night shift and are going out there and facing into the unknown and, and possibly what happened last night could, could happen any then. They're saying, where's the vision? Where's the plan? Where's the leadership? And that's what we want to know because, yes, we do need equipment. We do need training. We need all those things, but we need to feel a sense of purpose and that what's happening is being recognised and something is going to be done about it. And, and the, the kind words of support are very welcome. We've had them from people in positions of leadership and community and politicians at the highest level. But we need to know what are our own management going to do? What is the plan for the guards, the men and women that are on the streets tonight that are vulnerable to these attacks? What's, what's, what's going to be done? What's going to change? What are we going to learn from this experience? Or what's society going to do to, to protect those members? Clearly, you're looking for action from Garda management. Um, also in the area of legislation, Brendan, um, mandatory sentencing. We are again hearing calls around that. Mandatory sentencing for people who assault Gardaí, who assault your colleagues and indeed other frontline workers. Do you believe that that's necessary? Do you think that that would act um, as a necessary deterrent, you know, to, to, to protect your members more and maybe to make uh, those responsible think twice before they attack? <laughs> Absolutely. And we've been repeating this ad nauseum. That has been our message for many years. The custodial senses are very much part of what's needed. But we understand that there is legislation before the houses of the Oireachtas. And if, if cross-party political will was there, it could be introduced very quickly. So again, we say 
we're very thankful of the kind words. We, we accept the support and it's very reassuring. But let's see some action. Let's see this legislation move through the houses and let's find out what exactly is the position of our legislature and do they back our sentiments or is it just uh, empty words that will come at these times? Okay, Brendan O'Connor of the GRA, thank you for joining us tonight. Louise O'Reilly, Brendan, they're talking about cross-party political will. Do you think that that cross-party approach is there when it comes to protecting Garthi, to introducing legislation? We know that Helen McAtee has been talking about sort of maximum sentences, new mm -hmm. maximum sentences. Uh, do you think the new laws will go far enough? I think they will go some of the way. So I do want to send my own best wishes to the two members of Angarda Shia who were injured in the course of their duty. Nobody deserves to be treated like that. Mark, they should have the right to go to work um, and carry out their duty free from that type of interference. But I think what's needed as well as the, the, the legal element, there is also a community element. And Hazel and my colleague, Councillor Dahi Doolan, they work within the community and the community can tell those mm. in power what it is that they need. That assault that took place, I'm from Ballyfermot, that assault that took place, took place a couple of hundred yards from where my cousin lives with his wife and two kids. Like the entire Ballyfermot uh, is made up of people who are decent, hardworking, who do not want this in their communities. They, won't, they don't want it. It and comes to them. They don't want it. And they have as a, a zero tolerance, as the minister okay. has said, on, they want a zero tolerance that, approach as well. On that zero tolerance approach, and we heard uh, Brendan, he's one of a number of people to, to, to call for this and look for this minimum mandatory sentencing of people who assault Garthi and indeed uh, attack frontline members, be they nurses or, or anyone working at the frontline, ambulance workers or that... W would that be something that Sinn Féin would be in favour of? Well, I think we've seen not just an escalation in violence on our streets, but if you listen to Philney Hay from the INMO, she will tell you that there has been an escalation sure. of violence within A&E. And so I do think that zero tolerance approach is important. And for those people who are on the front line, we need to listen to them, to what they are telling us that they need. Uh, Mark, in terms of like, and we talked as well about body cams, um, and I know there's deep frustration at the delay of those being rolled out um, to officers who say it's actually really frustrating that when we see evidence when we see video footage it's not coming from them it's coming from somebody uploading it from across the road exactly and you can see people uploading those i know you um redacted the uh, what was on the caption but it was like guardy getting broke up you know laughy face emojis you know these people are laughing at this thinking this is funny it was the same with the the Garda cars that are rammed you know people are laughing at this thinking this is great fun so there's a contempt there for guardy and you know i know speaking to a lot of guardy they say it's a bit of a revolving door when they prosecute someone they're back out, you know, within 24 hours, 48 hours, you know, maybe they'll get a suspended sentence. So there's a big frustration there. Yes, there are th quick things that could be done or things that could be done faster, like the body cams, which are, you know, every Bobby in the UK has had them for 10 years now. We're not going to get them until 2024. You know, something that could be used as evidence to help convict people. You know, they'll be shown to a court, get these people off the street when they do stuff like this. And, you know, Gary would feel frustration when they're moving to bring in drug testing for us and make us pee in a jar. They won't get us a body cam where we can get evidence yeah, against these people. I, I, James, I need to take that up with you. What, what, what's the story with the delay on that? 2024, they're now saying that body cams will be rolled out to members of the force. Why is it taking so long when we can see, when we're talking about a rise in attacks on Garthi, we had 144 attacks on Garthi, say, in 2012, and we had 241 attacks on Garthi last year. So that shows the increase we've seen over the past decade. And yet, basic measures like body cams that could help uh, members of the force feel safer as they carry out their work are being stalled. 
Yes, well, look, absolutely, Garda Shikana need these body cams. It's something that's accepted by the government. So they why 2024? They need legislation to underpin the use of those body cams and, and how the data will be retained and will be used, that the legislation is now going to work its way through the House. The Garda Commissioner is going to pilot then the use of the body cams early, I think, next year, and then it will be fully rolled out then as an operation. Like, does matter. it need to be piloted? Mm. That's the sort of urgency, I think, that mm. we're hearing from Garda unions going... You know, our members just, Gardaí need these body cams. They need, it's, not the, it's not the be all and end all, but it certainly is a start and it would help them feel more secure in the job in the absence of other resources. Well, the operational rollout of body cams is a matter for the Garda Commissioner and he does of, of the view that he does need to pilot them first to see how they do work, how you use them and use them safely. Because obviously you don't want a situation where you roll out body cams and end up being challenged in the courts. We have to ensure that what they're used for is going to be effective to put these criminals off the street. Will it put criminals off the street? I mean, what's your take on it, Hazel? Um, you know, when, when you see people who would have, it, it would appear to have a sense of immunity um, mm -hmm. from, from law, will things like body cams make a difference to Garthi? Um, I think, as you said, there, there'd have to be a dialogue in and around like what footage would be used, how it would be available to the public as well on a, you know, a, a piece that we could all be kind of relating to the use of the, yeah, the body Yeah, so cams. that there would be accountability across the board. Yeah, and I think there is a point as well that we need to have a piece of discretion around mandatory sentencing because we would look at research and they would say that removing the power from the judiciary and putting it into legislation hasn't worked in other countries as well. So I don't think people are going to stop putting these heightened attacks to reflect and say that this is going to be an automatic sentence and I just don't think it's going to have the effect that we're looking for. But but if there's that sense, as Mark was talking about, about this revolving door that people literally go into court and come out, they are bailed and then they get a suspended sentence... Mm -hmm. There's a sense that, that there's no consequences for their actions. Yeah, and I think this is when you look at it as an aspect of dealing with it after something has happened, which is why I think it's important to be empowering communities to be dealing with things like the way that they would know. We were very integrated into our community. I'm from Cherry Orchard again, I've said that before. And I think it's important, though, that we are seeing people within our community able to stand up and say, we will support you to address this. The mm. only way that I've ever seen anything being changed in the areas is being empowering communities through neighbourhood watch. We don't have to go down the road that they went down again. But it was an aspect to say, look, empower them, supporting them is, is the only way I feel we'll see any change. Or we'll be back here again talking about something possibly worse. Yeah, that's the fear, isn't it? That we will be back here and we will be talking about this again. Um, James, from your perspective, the, the laws that, you're, that we're trying to, to, to move through now, do you think that they are going to provide that deterrent? And do you think also, because we have heard um, a number of supports and announcements, I think, in the wake of the, the, the Cherry Orchard um, attack about, you know, resourcing in the area. But many people at community level would say, look, there is still that deep fear there. There isn't um, enough put into repairing relationships at community level as well. No, absolutely. It has to happen at a community level. All the different agencies and community groups need to be involved in that role in terms of the legislation. I think the strengthening of the legislation will help to act as a deterrent, but often then you see, you know, it's also happening in the instant. Many times they're not thinking about what the deterrent is. So we need to ensure that the proper sentencing is in place so that people commit these very serious crimes against Angarda Shea Khan in particular and our frontline workers do face uh, serious consequences. And what's your take on mandatory sentencing? Do you think it should be in place? So Fianna Fáil Senator Robbie Gallagher has legislation in relation to mandatory sentencing before the Shannon at the moment. The government is not opposing that. There was in 2021 in the Wayne Ellis decision, the Supreme Court struck down a particular type of mandatory, minimum mandatory sentencing. So we want to ensure that any mandatory sentencing, if it is brought in, 
is not going to face a challenge within the courts in terms of being struck down. So we're looking at uh, Senator Gallagher's legislation very carefully. So that could potentially be looked at because so far what we've heard from Mel Helen McEntee is that the, 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 max the maximum sentencing, um, Louise, there... Um, mm -hmm. Again, do you think legally that there needs to be more, more stringent laws in place here? The deterrent is very important and it's very important we get that right and are informed by best practice, best international practice with it. But there is also, you know, another element to this is not waiting until this happens, but being proactive and employing a multi-agency approach that supports communities. That's incredibly important. So it's not just the deterrent. It has to be about supporting communities as well and ensuring that they, that kids have the diversions that they need and okay. the support they need. That's all we have time for on that. My thanks to Hazel and to Brendan for joining us. The rest of the panel will be staying on with me after the break protests in East Wall as locals there say there was no consultation for a new asylum centre. Stay with us. Welcome back. It's reported that several hundred people attended a protest in Dublin's East Wall this evening against the housing of refugees at an old ESB building. This follows a protest at the building on Saturday with one member of the local community saying there was no consultation with the community ahead of the use of the building for those seeking asylum. Mark Ty, Minister James Brown and Louise O'Reilly are still with me. Um, to come to you first, James, on this, no consultation with the community. This is a recurring theme that we're hearing now. Um, do you think that government and the department responsible for housing refugees is lacking a communication strategy or an ability to let communities know about what's happening and um, the provision of emergency shelter? for refugees in their area. Do you think that there's a breakdown of communications happening there? That's led to protests such as these. Yeah, look, there was complaints in the past about lack of consultations. I think the department has gotten an awful lot better at that, but we've seen an unprecedented number of refugees coming into the country who are needing help, many fleeing, for example, the war that Putin has started in Ukraine. So we've seen about 60,000 people so far this year coming in, needing that help and support. So the department has had to move quite quickly in many circumstances to ensure that these people have basic accommodation and basic food provided to them. But I do agree that there needs to be consultation, certainly where that's possible. Yeah, because these protests such as these aren't helpful, I think you'd agree. So when people protest, there will be groups there who say, yes, look, there wasn't consultation. Um, this is not a race issue or an anti-immigration issue. This is simply a, a case that we weren't consulted about it and it's something new in our area. And then you'll also have groups that maybe hijack such concerns um, with their own stronger views on it um, that are stirring hate and racism in a community. Certainly, and I think what we've seen with some of the reports from this protest, certainly people turned up at that protest who did try to uh, peddle some very serious hate and racist commentary, and I think that's totally unacceptable and simply outrageous. And the Irish people have been very welcoming of refugees who've come into Ireland. They've made our country an awful lot richer, but I do understand some pressures can be put onto communities when refugees are uh, being uh, provided with support in those communities. So I think the government has to put additional supports into those areas. But any issue around so what, consultation I mean, what's is going not to come of these protests? So this is, say, this is, say, the second protest mm. that's happened in this one instance, but we know that in 
in, in other areas and other places around the country that there are similar concerns being voiced. I mean, what does government do about it, notwithstanding, you know, the, the refugee crisis that is facing so many people, not just from Ukraine, but from other countries where they're seeking, they're seeking shelter in places like Ireland? Well, I think what the government has, has done in the past and needs to continue to do is working with the local communities to ensure right. that the supports are put in place to support the refugees who are coming in and to support the local communities as well to help the very often warm welcome that they have given to Ukrainians and other refugees as well. We also have to ensure that anybody peddling hate and racism knows that it is not acceptable and are taking the task and that's why we're bringing forward our own hate legislation as well which would be very important. Louise, do you, do you think that's there? Do you think that, that there is enough communication and consultation. Do you think there's a need for consultation in these times of, of emergency? Well, I think what happened uh, in Eastwall is very regrettable. I know that community. I know it very well. Strong, resilient community uh, with good people in it. But they feel like the government had information in relation to their area. That Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns wasn't shared with them and uh, they feel that the, they weren't consulted and that lack of consultation left a vacuum. Do they have into a point? Which, I think they do, you know, uh, but into, into which that the vacuum that was created by the lack of consultation and the lack of information has been filled with people from outside the area, let's be honest now, most of them from outside the area who are trying to store up hate and division and who are trying to exploit the genuine feelings that people have in the community in relation to consultation. Um, uh, uh, you know, the fact is this community is, has been let down by successive governments. They feel that they have been let down and they have been sidelined. So and this that's is a... just further evidence for people who see that they weren't consulted. And James has the... acknowledged that. And yes, the consultation has gotten better in some areas in the last while, but there's still a huge amount of improvement that can be made. Um, do you believe that's at, at the root of all of this, Mark? That a, a sense that a community is sort of left in the dark about plans by government 
um, to help provide shelter for people. Yeah, that's been preyed on. But also I've seen like um, some elected representatives. We've seen uh, Patricia Ryan in, in South Kildare. We've seen Fine Gael representatives in North Kildare. Like there was a, an equestrian centre which was set to host um, 300 refugees from Ukraine, which was burned down after it became the focus of, you know, quite targeted um, discussion and opposition mm. from the local Fine Gael um, representative. And so when you have the local elected representatives from the established parties coming in and they've been consulted and they've been informed and the first thing they say to the, the locals is, this is bad, this, is, this shouldn't happen, uh, this is going to cause conflict, as was said in South Kildare, you know, by, yeah. by Patricia Ryan. So I think that some of the, the elected politicians have to take this on the chin that they aren't helping things, you know, they're actually, uh, you know, spreading some of the fear and mistrust. Would you agree with that, Louise, when we had that situation with the Sinn Féin TD in Kildare who was saying, who was warning about division um, you know, should you should you know refugees be housed housed within a, a small community? I think the point that Patricia was making was one around again consultation and support and services that aren't there, and the genuine fear that this could lead to uh, to division. I think that was done in an effort actually to stop the division happening rather than uh, to, but to create. But if you say it, it, aren't you in in some way you know promoting or prompting that that sense that you know if you weren't feeling worried about this mm -hmm. before now well you certainly will be now but if you, you don't say it sorry the, just just yeah. give me a second if you don't say it you are uh, you, you're ignoring people's genuine feelings so you've, you've got to look at each situation and each community you've also got to look at the services that exist within that community and then go into the community and speak to people because what happens when people believe that the government or government agencies have information that is material to them to their community and the place where they live that isn't shared with them in a timely manner, it does create an issue. And the key Same. to that is timely communication yeah. and effective communication that goes okay. to the heart of communities. And briefly, James, I mean, when, when we see these protests, are the government taking, you know, watching this and saying, right, well, we're, we're, doing, something, we're doing something wrong here. Yes, we're dealing with a huge situation and huge numbers involved um, that we're trying to help, but we need, we need to, to actually do better here. Of course, you always have to learn when you see situations like uh, those protests and know how can you work better in terms of consultation with the genuine local community, okay. but also standing up to outside interests who come in to try to hijack those types right. of concerns. OK, we're going to move on now uh, to the World Cup and the latest from Qatar. Uh, before this World Cup began, some of the bigger nations promised that the controversy surrounding Qatar wouldn't be ignored. One way they planned to protest was with a special One Love um, inclusivity armband. Well, today, countries including England and Wales abandoned that protest after being told they would be punished by FIFA. It was a very different story um, with Iran However, they stayed silent during their national anthem. That was a sign of support to the protests that are sweeping their country back home. And the anthem was also jeered by Iranians in the crowd. So two very different stories there. Uh, Virgin Media sports presenter Tommy Martin is joining me um, on Skype now. Tommy, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. England did win their, their World Cup opener against Iran 6-2. A very comfortable win at that. But the, the issue and the controversy over that one love armband and their decision uh, to rest it or to leave it in, in the, the changing room is something that has um, caused a lot of commentary. Where did that pressure come from? Was it directly from, from FIFA on this that, that players would be yellow carded should they wear it? Yeah, it seems, Claire, uh, to have come quite late in the day from FIFA and you'd presume from the uh, Sup Supreme Committee uh, of Qatar, the organising committee. Um, people were having a bit of a joke and a laugh about the late decision last week to um, 
to stop the sale of beer in uh, in the stadiums. Um, but one of the sort of subtext to that was that it showed that um, Qatar were very much in control of this World Cup. And as it got closer to the tournament, um, we're putting pressure on that any sort of concessions that, that FIFA might have got in terms of tolerance for um, behaviour and, and uh, actions that weren't um, fitting with what they wanted to see in their culture that FIFA would back down and allow that to happen. So you had the beer thing, which everybody had a bit of a joke about. And then now you, uh, overnight, the, the armband issue came up really late in the day, as you said there, in the hours before uh, England and indeed the Netherlands and Wales. So there were seven European countries who took part in this, who were due to take part in this One Love armband campaign. Now, this campaign was a very weak a uh, very mild form of protest because in the build-up to Qatar, the question had been asked of, uh, of all the FAs, the football associations of the countries likely to qualify. Unfortunately, Ireland wasn't one of them uh, to make it there. But the ones that were likely to qualify, what would you do uh, to stand up about the, the human rights abuses, the position of LGBTQ people and indeed uh, um, uh, women as well uh, and how they're treated in Qatar? And they came up with this really fairly mild, vague, watery worded uh, statement of, that they wear a, uh, an armband. And the, the colours aren't even the rainbow colours used by the LGBTQ plus movement. They're sort of a multicoloured, generic one love against discrimination and for, and for uh, inclusivity. So that was what they were going to do. Uh, so that was something at least. Uh, and then in the hours leading up to, and I believe it went on quite close to the kick, kickoff in the England game today, that FIFA um, basically impressed upon the football associations of England, Wales and the Netherlands playing today that if the captain uh, were to wear an armband, that sporting sanctions was the term uh, would be used, uh, would be issued on the player, uh, which would which we uh, was expected to mean a booking. In other words, you know, Harry Kane, for example, for England would start the game essentially with a yellow card, which meant he could, if he got another yellow card, be sent off. And the football associations say, they say that they uh, took it out of the players' hands, that they didn't want to put the players into that situation. Uh, and Harry Kane was asked after the game about it, and he said that he was disappointed, but that the decision was taken out of his control. Now, that hasn't stopped him and the, uh, Gareth Bale, um, the England, or the Wales captain, from getting cri criticism this evening. Only, only this evening on ITV, uh, Roy Keane, who's doing punditry over there, said that you know they should have... They should have made a statement. They should have worn it anyway. Taking the booking, at, even in the first game, just do it. Uh, Taking the booking, uh, and, and Roy Keane said you should, you know, you should have stuck up for their yeah. beliefs and stuck to their guns on it. There certainly, yeah, Tommy, you would wonder. There certainly would appear to be uh, an opportunity there, Mark, for even at the the, the opening game, mm -hmm. for them to have taken this stand and not be cowed so early by a rule by FIFA saying, yes, look, you will be booked. Surely they knew that that was a threat. They knew that that would be a possibility, that there was an opportunity there for players to take a stance early on in the competition, at least. Yeah, look, I, I think it's disappointing that the, the captains didn't do that, you know, like say, I'm going to take one on the chin. But I suppose looking at it from a purely football perspective, like Gareth Bale, the, the, the Wales best player, the first time they qualified for the World Cup was 1958. He was booked in the 42nd minute. It shouldn't have been a yellow card, but he was booked. And then the 81st minute, he was fouled, got the penalty, had scored the equalising goal. You know, Wales is in ecstasy tonight. They've got their first point, first goal in the World Cup since 1958. If he'd had taken that yellow card for wearing the armbands, he would have been sent off yeah. in the 42nd minute. And, you know, Wales would have been out, probably out of the World Cup now. Yeah. So, so they're so, focusing. The, fo they're the, the defence will be they're focused on the game. They're focused they're, they're on professionals. why they're there. Their whole career is up to this. They could have been out of the tournament if they lose their captain so early. But look, I... I can see how it's very disappointing. It would been a moment, it'd been an iconic moment, you know, to stand there, just wearing an armband, standing up for LGBTQ 
rights and you're taking a yellow card, one on the chin, and you're standing up for what you believe on your own inclusive message. Yeah, it could have been a huge moment of solidarity. Yeah, so an opportunity missed. Yeah, it is. But, you know, from a purely football perspective, you know, I'm sure the Welsh nation is happy tonight that Gareth Bale was on the pitch in the 81st minute when that that happened. Um, James, I wonder, is it the responsibility of players to take this stance? You know, many people would say, look, they are there to play football and maybe it's governments and states who shouldn't be doing business with Qatar. Yeah, but I do think sports can play an important role. And we've seen that with apartheid in South Africa and how sports can make a big impact. Um, and look, I think the armbands was a meek enough attempt, but I think it still would have showed some level of solidarity. I think the FIFA showed its true colours, the way it kind of cracked down on what was a very kind of simple uh, attempt at solidarity. You compare that to what the Iranian players did in terms of not singing the national anthem, the protest from the Iranian fans, mm-hmm. and the cons- potential consequences for them is mm-hmm. far more serious than someone wearing or not wearing an armband. So I think it was Just, disappointing, but I think FIFA here have really shown their true but colors. Do you think again, what I'm saying is you're passing something political, and I mm-hmm. would say that you know, sport and politics. Sport is inherently political, and 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 maybe that's just the nature of it. When it's something like this on a global stage, but that governments, while you can sit there and say, isn't it like no, you know, it was it was just a, a mild protest, and even they couldn't do that, and there was an opportunity there. That actually, you know, we're doing trade deals with Qatar, and that's not right. But when you look at what the Iranian players, no, did, I'm not talking about the Iranian players. So I'm just talking about governments and states doing and trading links with countries like Qatar, that it's all very well for us to say footballers should take a stance here, but that we have no problem doing trade deals. You know, but I do think, you know, football players or any sports, when you make that stand, it can really send a So very that's more powerful message. than a political, that, than, a, than a government or a state stance? No, but I don't think you, you kind of say to sports no. either that you have no role in politics. No, no. I know. But and James similarly as her Yeah, James mentioned series. South Africa and, you know, it wasn't just sports people uh, that brought an end to apartheid. It was international solidarity coming from trade unions, from governments, from political parties. It was that level of leadership. So there is a role for government in this. But I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact, as weak and all as that gesture was, right, and that just shows FIFA for what they are and how they, how they act. And the message very clearly was sent to members of the LGBTQI plus community from uh, that tournament, which I think is really, really unfortunate. We all know that uh, the, the world of football is a very inhospitable place for LGBTQI plus players. But the people that I know who are working here, who are involved in their local soccer clubs like Morn Celtic, like Bohemians, like Shamrock Rovers, those people are a force for good in their community. But the role models on an international stage are letting people down. Uh, James, it's also a very busy time at the bookies um, and new gambling legislation. Let's talk about that because that's taken a a step further and we're likely to see a move on that now in the new year. Um, Essentially, what do you see changing when it comes to big events like the World Cup and what people can and can't do? Yeah, so the current situation, it really is the Wild West out there. Our legislation dates from the 1930s and the 1950s, simply not fit for purpose at all. And a lot of gambling is not even licensed. So what we're doing with this uh, detailed legislation, the heads of the legislation but to run to about 242 sections. So it's a huge piece of legislation. We're going to license the industry first and foremost. If you don't have a license, you're not going to be allowed to provide a gambling service. Secondly, in terms of public health, significant measures put in place to protect people who are vulnerable gambler users and 
protect children. So for example, if you breach the legislation around protecting children, you could face up to eight years imprisonment. Also in terms, for example, around advertising, mm -hmm. there will be a watershed from 5.30 a.m. in the morning, because we know children get up early, until 9 p.m. And the, and the regulatory authority that so we are- So that's gonna cross all sports coverage on TV and all of that. You're not going to see betting ads on, on, across broadcast yeah. mediums and elsewhere. You won't see betting ads across broadcast mediums. And also they will be banned online unless you opt in to receive them. And if the service is still being provided at the regulatory authority that we've already, that we are establishing, we've appointed the CEO Desnes and Marie Caulfield, will be able to take action against the internet service provider to ensure that those answers right. are How blocked. soon are we going to see this? In 2023. 20, okay, so we're talking January, are we? No, we, I think we'll be talking later in the year. The legislation still has to go through. It'll be Another published year. this week. Well, it will, it will take the time to run all through right. all the different stages in the houses, but there has been cross-party support for this. In fairness, mm -hmm. I've received support from right across, both from Sinn Féin, Labour, okay. right across the houses for this. Um, uh, because it has been a long time coming, hasn't it, Louise? We just yes. have um, a statement there from the Gambling Awareness Trust welcoming the publication of this gambling regulation bill. This is a charity which is funded by the gambling sector to promote awareness of gambling-related harm. Um, so they have, have welcomed this move. They've, they've welcomed um, the regulations that will be coming on stream. It's a big change, though, isn't it, um, for people who, who, who would be used to actually seeing a proliferation mm. Of, of you know betting ads and, and and you know moves to encourage people to go into the bookies and to, to place bets online. It's a massively long overdue change actually, um, and and James used the word there the wild west uh, we are uh, currently as we sit here the, the wild west of, of gambling and harmful gambling and harmful gam gambling habits are developing. Un, uh, uninhibited. So the legislation is absolutely vital, but we also need to add to that support for people who are dealing with problem gambling, you know, and we are in the middle of a cost of living crisis. The fact is, when that happens, that can lead to an increase in problem gambling and the supports need to be need to be there, not just the deterrent for the companies. That's really important because people who, when they're at their most vulnerable are getting bombarded with these adverts. I mean, that's, it's, it's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. That has to stop. But we also need to support people because you know, if you have an issue around problem gambling, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your capacity to work. And all of these things mean that you will need support. But people who get that support will be able to move on from it, which is what we need. And then they'll be able to move on from it in an atmosphere where they're not getting bombarded with these adverts night, noon and morning, which I think is really, really important. OK, there we will leave that. My thanks uh, to Tommy and to Louise. Mark and James will be staying with me after the break. Shoppers beware as Garthi warn of online scams this Black Friday. Welcome back. Irish shoppers are said to spend over €18,000 every minute during the Black Friday sales, with a total of €26 million Euro expected to be handed over by consumers online. But Gardaí have warned the public of scammers and that some of those deals are too good to be true. Well, Mark Ty and Minister James Brown are still with us. I'm also joined via Skype by Head of Financial Crime with the Banking and Payments Federation Ireland, Neve Davenport. Um, Neve, to come to you first on this, and welcome to the programme. €45 million Euro has been stolen from Irish consumers in the second half of this year alone. They're quite startling figures. Are we seeing that because we're seeing a lot more people spending online now? Is that what's happening here, rather than us getting lax about our, our card use or our transactions? 
Yeah, so the card use has definitely gone up, especially we got used to shopping online during COVID as well. So people are doing a lot more online shopping. And out of that 45 million, there are lots of other scams that are in there, not just card fraud. There's investment scams, romance scams like that. But of the card fraud that we're talking about, it is actually at the highest level since 2017. So it has gone up significantly. Uh, how quickly will you know if you're a victim of fraud? If you, is it when you don't receive what you ordered? Is it when your bank contacts you? How, how soon can that happen? It really depends on the type of scam. There's so many different types of scams out there. So a lot of the time, um, you, it will be when the, the good doesn't arrive. So that's one instance. Or if, you know, when you go to finalise the purchase and then you don't get maybe a confirmation email. So people react at different times depending on what way the scam works. Um, and are many transactions intercepted by banks before that point yeah. of purchase? You know, in there many instances, it still seems like a very high amount that's been stolen from Irish customers, but there must be many more transactions that never make it to that point. There are. And one of the key pieces of advice that we are giving to customers, especially with Black Friday and in the run up to Christmas, is if you get a text message from your bank after you've made a transaction, to have a look at that text message, take your time and respond. But just make sure that you aren't sending back any personal or financial information. So one of the things that banks do is they try to confirm the purchase before they actually process it. And that text message will ask you to confirm the spend by replying with a Y for yes or an N for no. However, if you do get a text message that has a link in it or is asking for personal financial information, it could be a fraudster texting you. Banks generally don't send links and text messages and definitely not for fraud texts. How are you covered if you are defrauded from a banking point of view? Do you, do you have cover? Yes, I can say in all cases you'll have cover. Again, it depends on the type of scam. So customers really need to act quickly, contact your bank, use the number on the back of your card in not any contact details you have in text messages. And if you use your Visa card or your MasterCard, it is one of the safest ways to pay. OK, Neve, thank you for that. And thank you for that advice. You would think, uh, Mark, it's an incredible amount of money, isn't it? 18,000 euro per minute. That's this weekend when um, I suppose a lot of people will maybe be looking at getting their Christmas shopping done um, at this early stage. Yeah, I suppose this is an Americanism we've imported in the last few years, the whole Black Friday concept. And I, I suppose I just urge people, you know, don't get caught into it. There's no rush to go buy stuff you don't actually need. So, you know, just calm down. There, there are a lot of sophisticated uh, fraudulent websites out there who mm. bluff that they're real services, although they bluff about the actual, even sometimes the proper uh, retailers are bluffing about how much of a discount you're getting. They might jack the prices up a few weeks and then say, oh, now we're down 50% or 75%. So don't get caught up in the hype. You know, it's, it's, it's not to be on the end off. You don't buy something online on Friday. Yeah, increasingly, I think people are becoming sort of wise to that, the Black mm. Friday, the idea that you get this great uh, one-time price, but actually then you discover those prices have jumped in the weeks going up to it, James. It's still a lot of money, I suppose, for people to be spending and to be on the lookout for fraud. Um, and people are still being defrauded to, to a huge amount. No, people are. And what I would say is that if a deal online is too good to be, looks too good to be true, it probably is. I would say use secure payment systems. I would buy from reputable websites. I would also say where possible, buy locally because that money is obviously staying in the local community. But people will buy online and it's increasingly so... So, so it is. I think often some of those deals, which are too good to be true as well, often it's the previous year's stock they're getting rid of. So I'd be aware as well that the may not be as good as you think it is. And as, as Mark says, don't rush into anything. Take your time. Um, on consumer spending and sentiment this year, actually, I was kind of struck by that high amount of money that people are spending. But looking at CSO figures, it seems that um, 
consumer sentiment is showing a pullback in spending, Mark, but it's driven more by caution um, than cash constraints maybe this year. And I think that's just for the month of November because that kind of budget boost came into people's bank accounts um, with the doubling of, of, of certain you know, benefits coming their way. Yeah, but that's gone as soon as you turn the heating on, as we've had the, the coal has finally arrived. Now everyone knows once you, once you turn that heating on, you're burning money mm. very quickly with uh, how inflation has affected gas and oil prices. So um, I can understand you know, people need to be cautious because everything has got so expensive. We, we are dealing with record levels of inflation still. Um, the government have given certain things to try and alleviate that pain, but it's, st it's still there for many, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, on that, that uh, on, on, on other surveys that are out today, they've also shown that, you know, 61% have less money for the Christmas season this year than they had last year, and they will be really watching what money they do spend as well, James. Um, you know, from an economic point of view, it seems people are pulling back because simply because they have to, because of that fear of the unknown and, and what's coming down the line. There's also fear as well that people will get into debt at Christmas, as does happen when they're trying to, I suppose, give the best for their families and, and have, you know, as, as good a time as possible, despite budgetary um, problems. No, certainly. Look, we've seen a significant increase in inflation. It's all a lot of us have talked about for the last year. That has impacted people very much on their, in their pocket and, and their spending power and what they can spend. They are being very cautious. And they also, because I think of that level of uncertainty going into the new year, we don't know what's going to happen with the Ukraine and Putin. Is the inflation going to go back down? Is it going to continue to where it's at? So I think people are also have that cautious element and not want to get into that piece of debt over Christmas as well, because they may need funding into the new year. But the government did give well over, I think, 11 billion euros in the budget this year. And if further funding is needed comes the spring, I think the government will be, won't be found wanting either. As Mark mentioned, there are, of course, though, those energy bills that people will be getting now, especially as the weather has turned. Uh, but for now, we leave it. My thanks to James, to Mark, to Neve, who joined us on Skype there in our last discussion. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok. Tonight, VMTV uh, is the tag there. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care. <laughs>